Don't yeah. do that. No, I bought I bought a bedazzler when in grad school mm-hmm. um, because there was I'm practicing. There was the the after party at one of the SPSB Wait, conferences, um, and they always had uh, they always had like a theme. And one year it was rhinestone cowboy, and oh, so man. I got a I got a leather poncho at Goodwill, and then like I just bedazzled the shit out of that thing. And did you make like a design? Like, I did. Shop? I did make a design. It was it was a, a University of Oregon O, um, along with like some other designs. So like on my back was just like a big O, and Is then that on. Sad that then you didn't actually uh, stay there for very long. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. Brown is pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome too. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's not much of a um, like. Oh, it's a bummer. You had to go to Brown. I Ugh. know. So hard uh, being in an Ivy League, getting paid twice as much as a grad student. Uh-huh. Yeah. All of those things are what need to be in the blurb at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. He, he's it's in so all the blurb. hard well, being a white man at an Ivy League oh, school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. That's right. <laughs> People should feel sorry for me and everything I had to struggle through. Should they? Yes. Hello and welcome to Marginally Significant. My name is Andrew Smith and I'm here with... Andrew Monroe. Twyla Wingrove. I'm Chris Holden. Hey, I actually had you guys say your names this time. Last time weird. I actually said your names and then you guys just said hello. Yeah, I, I yeah, prefer I if you say hello to us. That, that This felt a little <laughs> impersonal. Oh, you didn't like that? All right, yeah, so no. I'm here with Andrew Monroe. Hello. Twyla Wingrove. Hey there. And Jones McSweeney. Jones McSweeney. I don't know, Chris Holden. Yeah, that's me. All right. Yeah, I don't know. All right. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about judging people. Um, So I was trying to figure out what's going to unite the two different uh, topics here that we're talking about. In the beginning, we're going to be talking about uh, the GRE and whether that's a a good way of evaluating students. And then later on, we'll talk about student evaluations of us. Um, So I guess we'll start start with the uh, um, uh, GRE question. And the basic idea here is it started with a number of universities are actually dropping um, the GRE requirements. So for getting to um, grad schools, they're not requiring their students to take the GRE. And um, most of them, not all, but most of them are including it as an optional thing. So you can send your scores if you would like, but you do not have to. Um, And so the main question that's really been kind of going around Twitter that obviously we're going to be talking about is whether that's a good idea or a bad Bad idea. Um, I mean, I guess before we start, maybe we should talk about like why people are actually doing it. Like, what's the rationale? And so I was looking up some of the things that people were talking about, and they were just describing how the GRE might be biased, right? And so um, different uh, groups of people might be doing better. Obviously, typically it would be underrepresented. Um, uh, groups of people would be doing worse, and so that might be a particular issue. They're hoping that by dropping the requirement, it might increase diversity of the applicants because the GRE is very expensive. It's like $200 to take it. Um, and then other people were even adding in how um, the there are a bunch of GRE prep courses that you can take. And that, of course, is going to advantage people who have more money. And so if you drop it, then um, it might kind of, you know, make the playing field slightly more more equal there. And just the idea that it's going to be just overall kind of cheaper and easier for uh, the applicants so they just don't have to worry about this other requirement. It's going to increase diversity. Um, I guess, I mean, the the answer or the, the question to all of you guys that, that we want to try to figure out is like, well, will it help increase diversity of applicants? And then, of course, the second question is like, is it a good thing to not uh, um, have the GRE as a requirement? I don't know. So what do you guys think? You're all nodding along. I, I assume you have opinions. I, superficially, the argument that that abolishing the GRE requirement will increase the diversity of the applicant pool makes sense because of the cost associated with it. But I just want to see some numbers. Like, are there people out there who would have applied to our program or any other program who didn't apply because of the cost of the GRE? 
Tell me, Andrew. <laughs> I, I would say we don't know. Well, I think that's a good point. So that's definitely something that other people have brought up. That in the beginning, it probably won't make a difference. Because if, you know, three quarters of the programs require it, but only a quarter don't, then most people are going to be taking the GRE anyway. However... If a lot of programs think it's a good idea to get rid of the GRE, there have to be some who start it, and maybe their hope is is that they'll kind of lead the way. I should point out, um, other areas, so in psychology, it's something like 90, 95% of the places require the GRE. In other areas, so one of the ones that I saw was in um, uh, molecular biology, it was about 50% require it. So half the places, half the grad programs do, half don't. So there, I mean, actually there might be plenty of applicants who, who actually don't take it and some of those programs had to be the first ones to go so i agree right now it probably won't do much but again maybe they're trying again just trying to you know uh, um, give them credit maybe they're just trying to be the first ones to kind of lead that charge to, to get rid of it yeah i think it might be hard to get those numbers too because the same thing that is that could be a barrier for people taking the gre i.e money is going to affect some of those other things that are part of the application so to me it seems like sure you're removing one barrier and i think if it truly is a barrier and if it truly doesn't have downstream effects like maybe we should but we haven't addressed the larger issue and i think it wouldn't necessarily by removing that one variable increase diversity wholesale yeah i i mean i guess my hot take on this is i'm kind of unimpressed by this debate uh so the argument like we should get rid of the gre because it's biased well okay but show me a measure that we use for evaluating graduate candidates that isn't biased so like if we want to like play that out to its logical conclusion and the argument is we should get rid of the gre because it's biased in x y and z ways well then that would mean that anything that that shows like bias we should also get rid of and then like okay great we have nothing left so so the argument that the gre is biased i I don't think holds logical water or at least that would that would commit you to getting rid of basically every other metric that we use for evaluating graduate applicants. On the cost side of it, the cost side, I'm, I'm a little bit more sympathetic. Uh, the GRE is prohibitively expensive, but there I still think the people who are arguing about the cost are engaging in virtue signaling. If you really wanted to, to remove a barrier, then you should just drop your graduate application fee. Like Just do that. Then what you've done is you've actually made it free to apply to your program. That actually would have a manageable effect. Um, so like if you really care go and do that and that's also like a costly signal that you could engage in like stepping up on twitter and talking about like we should get rid of the gre i'm i'm unimpressed by those arguments yeah but i mean that probably is easy coming to say coming from all of us who probably did fairly well on the gre wouldn't you think i took out a lot of credit card debt to apply to grad school and i did like moderately well at the gre i didn't do i i don't remember what my score was but it was it was enough to get me in the door but it was not impressive all right i mean i so to to be honest i completely agree i think getting rid of the gre is a bad idea because it's a point of information that we have about people but i am sympathetic to the fact that it it does cost a lot of money and the idea that certain people can spend a lot of money to take it multiple Multiple times, um, the data suggests that people do better um, the more times they take it. Not surprisingly, also having the the um, ability to pay for uh, um, kind of coaching or lessons in terms of improving. So I, I am sympathetic to that, but I, I still agree that yeah, I think I think that's the best argument to offer against the GRE that the more financial resources you have, the more tries you can have on the GRE, the better coaching you can have on the GRE, and and that is that's the argument that I'm most sympathetic to that being said like the idea of uh sort of broad privilege brought with financial resources or coaching all that's still like a problem for like something like personal statements that you know people who uh, have more money go to better programs uh where they have smaller class sizes they get to know their advisors better are going to have better personal statements like all of that is still on the table for things that are technically free to do so i i'm just i'm completely unconvinced about this entire debate yeah i agree 
I mean, there was an interesting. Um, so, Chris, you sent this to me, the or well, to us, the um, article about um, Alex Danvers or by Alex Danvers, and he was um, talking about how yes, the GREs might be biased, but of course, all these other things, just like you said, um, Monroe, that the that things like um, the um, letters of recommendation or even just access to kind of the research opportunities might be biased. And then I was wondering, like, are there ways to make those less biased? Because there's a lot of research, a lot of people putting a lot of time into the GRE to make that less biased because they're trying to minimize the amount of bias. I mean, there are literally hundreds of people working on that. Um, is there anything we could do to make letters of recommendation less biased? I mean, nobody's doing research on that. Nobody's putting money into that aspect or, or opportunities for, for research experience or so on. I think the written components can be addressed. So uh, statement of purpose, letters of recommendation, those things I think have a little more wiggle room. Other things that uh, Alex mentioned in that don't, like the name of the university. Um, and this might be an argument f actually for the GRE. Uh, and this is something my partner's mentioned. I don't want to speak for her, but she's mentioned this a few times that uh, she went to a very small school. And one of the reasons why uh, she got as many interviews or thinks she got as many interviews as she did is because of her high scores on the GRE. Right? And I think that that could be true for a number of people. But that was her only counter to the name of the school. It was a small school, right? tiny, tiny program, didn't have the weight of a larger state school that's known for their psychology programs. So I think that'd be one thing that no matter what we do, we just we can't change that but with the letters and stuff like that i think there's there's some room yeah i think also like as advisors we can try to be more mindful about the types of opportunities we offer in our lab and trying to make sure that our labs are more open inviting spaces to people of more diverse backgrounds and then you'll get to know those people better uh you'll write more letters of recommendation for more diverse groups and so i think that that's a, another way that you could sort of balance that out um so so, yeah, that might help. Agreed. <laughs> I, I wish the conversation would shift from should the GRE be included to how can we make the whole process less biased? So how can we um, write unbiased letters, but also when we're reviewing, review with some objectivity? Um, the other thing I want to add that we haven't mentioned is how much GRE is weighted. And I think that even if, and I am in support of keeping the GRE, I'm definitely against that whole make it optional thing. I think that just opens a major can of worms. Um, so I'm in favor of keeping it, but I also think that we weigh it too much. And so I wish the conversation was about that instead of whether the GRE is biased. How much should we weigh the GRE? <laughs> Well, <laughs> 20%. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right now we have a stupid formula that we use in our program. I mean, a lovely, perfect formula that <laughs> ranks people based on GRE and GPA. And I think that's it. I think it's just those scores. Um, and, and then what happens is we anchor people to that ranking. And so... There, everything else is reviewed in light of that ranking. And so I don't know if reviewing everything besides those numbers first would help, like just reviewing personal statements and letters of rec without getting that information. I don't know if that would help, but I do think that having that Im information up front anchors us. Agreed. No, I, yeah, I mean, I could see the idea that if you already know what somebody's GRE scores, then when you're reading their um, letters of recommendation, obviously that can influence kind of how you're interpreting that. I will say, though, I have, I mean, because we do evaluate people's personal statements and their letters of recommendation, I have a really hard time evaluating letters of recommendation. I mean, obviously, at the extremes, super easy. When somebody, you know, obviously just outright says this person isn't good or just has super, you know, mundane things to say, okay, great. And then if it's the other extreme and it's just like super glowing and fantastic, but everything in between, I have a really hard time evaluating that. So I'm fine giving that more weight, but I don't know that that's necessarily an improvement though. And same thing with personal statements. I just, I have a really tough time again at the extremes. Totally. That's easy. But, but everything in between, I have a really tough time evaluating those things. So I don't know how to improve that aspect of it i mean maybe the the answer there is like having many many raters and then hopefully that kind of 
noise that we all have cancels out and we kind of get a little bit of signal there, but I'm not sure. So I, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to piece this line of thinking together in my head, but I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, I think one of the things that Alex mentioned in that article, and I might misrepresent this, but uh, he was arguing that if we take away the GRE, and because it carries so much weight, as you were saying, Twyla, that it's going to put this weight on other things that are already biased. Um, and we should be mindful of that. We should be careful that we're not pushing it towards those things by eliminating the GRE. Um, But another kind of takeaway was maybe we should spend the time that we're putting on studying the GRE and, you know, having people that dedicate their entire quant psych PhD program to understanding the GRE and standardized test towards how do we write better letters of recommendation or how do we assess those things better? Um, So I don't know if we have an answer per se, but I kind of like that charge that he left people with by saying, maybe we need to be doing some research in the same way that we do with the GRE for these other things and seeing if there's ways that we can quantify it because we, we just don't. I think that's why this is so hard for us to answer. Like we don't have a good understanding of what makes a good letter or what doesn't. Uh, I so I totally agree with that. I wonder if there's any research on, I mean, maybe we should have, I should have looked this up beforehand, but um, the research on some of the applications require people to make um, quantitative judgments where you're, you know, like how good is this person on a one to seven point scale for these different things in addition to submitting the letter of recommendation. Um, I have no clue if those are useful or not. I would um, imagine they're near worthless. Like yeah. it's, it's like the, uh, it's like the the time when like you go into Applebee's and they're like, "Hey, after your meal, like we've got this customer survey for you to fill out. By the way, we need all tens on this and like anything else, and like we get yelled at." And like grad applications are, I imagine, not quite that extreme, but like pretty similar for the bias that you know you go in like, "Okay, how magical are they? Are they super unicorn magical? Uh, where if you were to like drink their blood, it would literally revive you from death? Um, to like quasi magical?" they can walk on water from time to time and i mean but it's like some degree like everyone is magical it's just how magical are they? and if they're not magical uh then like that's a kiss of death yeah i have definitely felt that pressure where you realize that when you're rating somebody lower like that well i don't know if that's this is true but it feels like some of those ratings like that one rating might literally be the one that disqualifies them from getting into this uh, um, program and that is hard that's a hard pressure to deal with i mean but the same thing is with uh, letters of recommendation if you don't say you know just amazingly glowing things if you just say like oh yeah they're pretty good they did what they're supposed to do and i don't know whatever they're never on fire yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly then you realize like oh great now i'm just ruining this person's career i mean i'm exaggerating a little bit but it it feels like that at times so it's it's hard to write these letters but then that makes it hard to review them because Mm -hmm. we don't know what people are doing I mean, yeah, I don't know if that's better or worse than the other criteria. Well, and also, like, we have no idea, like, what the norms are around it, that different people, different programs apply different norms. And so, I I mean, like, Twyla, you and I have had this conversation kind of offline before about the types of letters. And, like, you're like, uh, sorry, I don't want to totally say what you do, but, like, you you write really honest letters. And one worry that you've expressed when we've talked online is, like, am I screwing people by writing honest letters? Yes. Sorry, putting you on the spot. No, I'm not good at blowing smoke up asses. And therefore, when I write a letter, I I I mean, I know that there is a positivity bias, and so I do actually like, you know, up my ratings a little. But <laughs> but I I am willing to say that someone is is fine at something. And I worry because I because I don't read letters like that ever. And so I worry that I am set like you said, Andrew, like setting them up for rejection. And I really do. And I try to say, like, I sincerely believe (laughs) that they will do well, Um, but they're not they're not a magical unicorn and they will need mentoring in this area, even though they're really exceptional in this area. And I try to provide a balanced perspective, but I never know how that's received or rarely know how that's received. And actually, I've shifted. When I first started writing letters, like my first couple of years as an assistant professor, I actually wrote letters that were 
skills focused. And so like I had this idea in my head <laughs> that what I was supposed to be doing was evaluating potential grad students skill level, like uh, like undergrad. At that point, I was mostly writing letters for undergrads, um, review their skill level in like writing and their opportunities in research and their skills and in, in critical thinking. And so I would actually have individual paragraphs on each of these skills. And I stopped doing that because uh, like the more I read, the more I realized that that wasn't the business we were in, in writing letters of recommendation. And so I just sort of conformed to the norm. And now I write less specific letters to put a positive spin on that right if we know gre is biased and maybe some of these other things are biased if you're like upping your signal to noise ratio in your letters wouldn't that make them less biased and then maybe you're, you're countering some of this yeah. that's that's a lot of a lot of leaps in logic but it's quite the teeter-totter but right yeah maybe but the problem yeah. is like the norms are super biased yeah and yeah. so like writing an honest letter like would actually so even though you are writing a relatively unbiased honest letter the fact that that gets compared to like some weird unknown but probably unicorny norm out in the world means that you're actually inflate like you might be inflating bias in that case yeah that's more likely all is darkness and doom (laughs) but i think everyone else should change (laughs) because I feel like I would have a better sense of the students that I'm about to accept into our program if I could hear some reality, like just some just some real talk, real ladies talk, and yeah. gentlemen, <laughs> about their strengths and weaknesses. Like, I would not reject a student if someone said they're a good writer, but they struggle with time management. Like, if all the other indicators were strong, then I would just be aware that they need to learn how to manage their time better. And that wouldn't be like a maybe i don't know i don't think it would be a death blow but i never read those letters so maybe it would be well that's giving you insight that's like approachable and usable whereas like a gre score doesn't right so if someone says like they need to work on their time management that's like handing it to you and saying like here's the thing as a mentor from one mentor to the other that you need to address gre is just a number it's just like ranking people we don't know how to tailor our uh mentorship towards those students whereas a letter like that would allow that that's why interviews are so important. We need to do more interviews. So, but those are biased too. Yeah. <laughs> to say, that 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 was Andrew Smith. So add him at that. No, no, no. yeah. So I mean that there. I mean, obviously, most places we don't do interviews, but most places do interviews, and obviously that is going to be problematic. Also, yeah, I, I actually want to be really clear. No, I, was, I, I was I was I was being sarcastic yes. about the virtue of interviews. Like there, the research actually does seem like it's not entirely settled but the overarching picture seems to be that interviews reward people who are better bullshitters and people who are just less socially awkward and i mean come on we're in academia we're all socially awkward yeah Yeah, i mean it it does get back to something twyla that you were saying though of how we weight these things so the interview might provide some useful information but it probably shouldn't be weighted so heavily that it then you know compensates for many many other things and the same thing with the gre we wouldn't want to overweight that we would want to incorporate all of these different kind of points of information that we have because again they're all useful points of information I, I don't know if this is kind of going a little bit back to the um, letters of recommendation. I don't know if this is true, but I did hear that letters of recommendation are actually useful, like um, in the standpoint of like from a within person perspective. So if you look at a given faculty member, let's say their evaluations of many different people that you can kind of identify who the good ones were and who the bad ones were, but across people, it's way harder to do that. But obviously, whenever we're evaluating students, we're always looking across mm-hmm. raters, not not within a particular rater. So again, it does kind of highlight that kind of I don't know, challenge that, that we have. So what do we do to make our application process better? So include the GRE, where we seem to be in agreement there. And then tell our letter writers, please be honest. I mean, honest letters of recommendation actually would be really helpful uh, for all the reasons that Chris and Twyla laid out. Like, I would love to read an honest letter of recommendation um, that's actually diagnostic of the student's real strengths and weaknesses. That would be helpful. 
So yes. And make application free. Make the application free. Like if you're committed to increasing access, uh, you should make the application. I mean, because the GRE is expensive. Uh, you know, it's two hundred dollars or you know four hundred dollars if you take it twice. But every grad application, yeah, that that's how math works. Yeah, good job. Uh, <laughs> well done. Thanks. Uh, but every grad application is somewhere between. I mean, I guess they they vary more widely than yeah. this. But like PhD applications are usually like somewhere around a hundred dollars. And so you know we tell our students you know when you're thinking about applying to phd programs you're applying anywhere from like i don't know six to ten programs so you're talking a thousand dollars so like if we're worried about access yeah the gre is expensive but actually the real expense is applying to grad schools and i i get that like that money goes to sometimes good things um that that it can help defray the cost of of people visiting for the interviews that we just talked about being bad uh but but I think if you really want to commit to this, like that is what you should do. Get rid of your application fee. I think that's a really interesting idea or point because you think about the programs that are getting rid of the GRE. They're like, sure, we'll get rid of the thing that's expensive, but we don't see any of that money. But the thing that's expensive that we see the money, eh, we'll keep that because, you know, we get the money from that. That is actually a really interesting point. That's why I kind of think this is a bit of a bullshit debate because if you were really worried about it, you have something that is actually actionable and I don't see anyone calling for that. So to me, the debate looks like virtue signaling. I will just add, I don't know, as a PSA, that there are a lot of schools that do waive the application fee if you seek out that information. But you have to seek out the information. I know, I know but and I we just know wanted... that people who are of yes. relatively more limited means are less likely to be able to do that, or to even know it's or to it. even know that it's available. Absolutely, but I just wanted, and for the sake of full, yeah, I don't know, full information to make that clear. Yeah, for the hundred people who are listening yeah. to this, they will know they should seek out those funds because there are funds available and I do know a few people who've gotten them and so that is uh, worth looking into definitely so the GRE we think it's biased but it's imperfect but it's also maybe worth keeping so hey this is something that we should keep all right now changing topics we uh, use student evaluations to you know we focus on that information when we're um, uh, for like tenure promotion even merit um, raises and so on we look at student evaluations of our own teaching and there are suggestions of ditching those altogether because they are biased yet we're keeping the GRE even though we all acknowledge that it's biased um, but again has some use which I, I still agree um, so let's talk about uh, student evaluations of teaching um, how do you guys feel about those well okay so I want to separate out something the GRE nope. is is biased that's true but it also is predictive like we know it actually does right. predict performance in at least the first year uh, of grad school the, by the way the data on that's really suspect not because the the because the difficulty in doing that with pretty much any instance you have this huge restriction of range oh, okay. because you're yeah. looking at only the people who are accepted mm-hmm. the people who get accepted are the ones who have the highest GRE scores and so you have this huge restriction of range where obviously it's probably not going to predict anything the best way to test it would be to randomly admit 20 people and then that's what we should do to fix it we should just randomly admit people there from a pool. A done. that's fixed that's a little a bit lottery. different but that's never going to be done yeah. so I will say the, the data on how predictive the GRE is pretty weak again but I, I still think it actually is probably predictive if you actually did the random assignment and so on but it's worth noting that the data is not quite there okay so so the GRE may be probably. predictive uh, jury's still out but but like probably is is uh then the other point that I want to make is yes the GRE is biased but like so is every other measure that we have for evaluating grad students when we get to student evaluations there uh, the evidence like student evaluations are predictive of teacher quality like there the data seem to suggest like they are not uh, predictive of student quality so so I want to like separate out the GRE and the student evaluation because I think that the GRE while biased 
yes it's biased and like everything else is too so unless you want to burn the whole system down you're kind of left with that and two it does seem to be predictive whereas student evaluations there are other things that we could use to evaluate the quality of a teacher that might be less biased and they don't actually seem to be predictive so student evaluations are like we should get rid of those i i'm back to what do you replace it with though because student evaluations are easy to gather and therefore easy to put into any sort of tenure system or merit system you could do a peer evaluation i mean we do a peer evaluation here uh and i mean that's a lot of work and we're always running late on all those things i haven't had to do them because i'm not tenured yet so I'm very pro peer evaluation because I have not had to do a peer evaluation. I can already tell you the peer evaluations are not going to be particularly They're not predictive, predictive either. Uh, either. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because again, we know that it's going in somebody's permanent record. And I'm sure at the extremes, if somebody just does a just horrific job, I'm sure that there would be some way to, to, to see that. But I, from the few that I've seen, mm. they're not particularly productive. Okay. But I will say, like, what are the student evaluations trying to measure? What are they trying to measure or what do they measure? Uh, that's a, that was actually two good points. So what do, what do we think they're trying to measure and what do they measure? I mean, presumably what they're trying to measure is some degree of student learning and teacher competence, I would assume. And right. investment, I think. Yeah. Like some of the questions go to, is your teacher available? Yeah. Are they trying to actually teach you something? So, I mean, they're trying to measure the, the qualities of teaching that we would want our instructors to have. Yeah, because I mean, I would agree that there's a lot of research and there's big meta-analysis I was looking at that was talking about how student evaluations aren't predictive of student learning. But I would also argue that um, so I'm kind of leaning more so I was I was pro-keeping the GRE, GRE in, but I'm also pro, um, somewhat slightly pro uh, um, student evaluations. Um, but I don't think they're evaluations of student learning. And the vast majority of the questions aren't even geared towards that. So looking at some of the questions, oh, I lost my little sheet. Um, look at some of the, looking at some of the questions. So some of the questions are like, uh, and this is obviously different uh, universities, I'm yeah. sure have very different questions. But some of these questions are, my instructor respected me as a student. That has nothing to do with student learning. That might still be a very important thing to measure, though, that we would want to know. Um, well, my- presumably, yeah. I mean, if you're if you feel that your instructor didn't respect you, then it's going to be harder for you to learn because you're not going because they're they're not going to be a good source of information for you. You're just not going to listen or take them as seriously. I guess I would say, regardless of whether you learned anything or not. Don't you think we would want our faculty members to respect our students and for the students to feel like they're respected? I mean, we talk about like, you know, using proper pronouns. We talk about all these different things, which I think are very valuable in a way that we can respect the students where they are. How do we measure whether those things are successful? Let's ask them whether they think we are respecting them. Um, Other things of, you know, like my instructor uh, makes an effort to make this class interesting and enjoyable. I think that's a reasonable expectation for faculty members. So you guys are giving me dirty looks, so I'll just keep talking and and go through that. Um, No, but other questions real fast. Ah, other questions. Uh, My instructor helped me to develop an appreciation for the subject matter. Um, My instructor communicated his expectations of student performance. What were their gendered pronouns? Those are, what was that? His. His or her. There's a slash in there. Good catch. It's still, yeah. So his or her. Um, And so, I mean, all of these things, they're not measuring student learning. So I am not at all surprised that these things do not correlate with student learning. But that doesn't mean these are unimportant things that we don't care about. Right. I think there's another important distinction to make. And uh, I guess just to get it all on record, I'm pro-keeping the GRE. I'm also pro-keeping student evaluations, but changing them. Um, Because I agree. I think these structured questions like that don't really give us a lot of insight. And I think we actually get like a response set. You know, where they just go through and it's like all four, 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 five, 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 if they felt really good about it. Where I find the most value, and I think where students are expressing uh, stuff that's more in line with what we should be evaluating, is in the open ended questions. And those are the ones where I'll actually 
like look at what they're saying and adjust and I mean there's a lot of stuff in there that's just noise uh, one comment I always get is that I'm monotone so maybe I'm not the best to be on a podcast I don't know um, but you know I'll discredit those things but there have been little like suggestions or times that I see trends based on what they say there and that's what I'm adjusting to the most and I agree it's not assessing learning but it's more addressing kind of the experience in the classroom and I'm sensitive to that and I want to be you know mindful of their comments in that domain I am <laughs> trying to gather my thoughts. I'm not completely anti, I'm going to say the same thing I said about the GRE. I'm not completely anti-student evaluations. I think that they're overweighted. <laughs> I think that at this institution, they're pretty much the only thing we use to evaluate faculty. And those questions might be relevant, but they are certainly not the whole picture. And it's the only information. All we look at is a like a an average of those items. Yeah, so I would I would 100% agree with that, that looking at the overall average doesn't really help because if some of these are really low, but some of them are higher, that could be obviously, you know, you wouldn't be able to detect, well, how do they feel about some of these things? Because again, these are things are measuring, I would say these things are measuring different things, or at least the questions are completely different constructs in terms of like respecting me versus, you know, giving me good feedback versus, you know, I don't know, appreciation for the subject matter. matter. Um, so I agree. I think they're evaluating very different things on it but i think it could be useful if we looked at it um i'll say this it could be useful if we looked at it on a question basis but also kind of going back to some of the the stuff we were talking about earlier almost like looking at it as a within person um measure of how is this changing over time are some of these staying really really low or is it increasing because i also wouldn't disagree that these things are biased and so there's going to be gender issues there's going to be people of color issues there's going to be plenty of biases that are in these things so again looking across people is a lot more challenging but looking within a person actually might be useful both for the person kind of like what you're saying chris but also for the committees that are supposed to be evaluating is this person a good instructor yeah i i think i think that's fair i guess my beefs with student evaluations are it seems like broadly what they are picking up is as currently measured uh broadly as as currently constructed what they're picking up is like did i have fun in this class um and so this is like how much did i enjoy this class was the professor super cool and fun and the more super cool fun the professor is like the higher the evaluations and like i'll uh, to, to make it concrete like i think my student evaluations place me as a uh like in the market of instructors i am an overpriced instructor uh my student evaluations value me higher than like i probably should be valued in that market um and like yeah i mean and this i think goes to like the second thing that you mentioned about like gender dynamics or uh uh issues around uh people of color like as a white male uh a white straight male for that matter like i maybe match their expectations more of like what does a professor in air quotes uh look like and that helps me i mean uh so i think one problem is they are not currently measuring learning or quality of instructor. They're measuring whether or not people had fun. And two, there are systematic biases in like who is perceived as being like a better uh, teacher. So I would agree that they're not measuring um, learning. I'm not sure they're not measuring quality of instructor because I would say um, better instructors respect their students. Poor instructors don't respect their students. So a question that says, hey, my instructor respected me as a student, that is a at least in my mind, that's a measure of the quality of the instructor. But I would agree that they're not measuring student learning. That's a completely different thing because we know that people's subjective experiences of, of how much they learn, their knowledge, whatever, that's that's a really poor proxy for actual learning. So again, totally agree with that. But Yeah, and I guess like we're differing on, um, you're talking at the item level, I'm talking at the average level. So I, I, w I wouldn't disagree yeah, with you point. at the item level. Yeah. yeah, I think the item level is useful. I look at that every semester and, and I particularly 
look at the items that I know I've gotten low in the past, like returning feedback in a timely manner, not my strong suit. (laughs) And so I do, I am attuned to the responses that I have been trying to improve and I look to see if that's reflected in the evaluation. So there, uh, one worry that I have is I don't think students actually have good models. So, So I assign multiple papers and I give them detailed inline feedback at like theoretical level, writing level, like multiple levels. And for a class of 40 people, it takes me two weeks to grade those things. And I lay out those expectations in advance. I let them know. I meet my deadlines every single time. Like, it'd be nice if you could get us the papers back in like shorter time period. I'm like, yeah, it would be nice. It would also be nice if, uh, you know, you understood how long it takes me to grade any one of your papers. So I... I think that we're asking students to do something in some cases for some of these items where they're actually not they're not they're just not going to be good judges because they don't have the background knowledge that would be necessary. The one other point is I think the way that at least we administer the um, the student evaluations leads them to be more like Yelp reviews than actual good reviews that people who either really liked your class. So we make it optional. Like we put it online. Hey, go on, evaluate your professor. And the only people who are going to be motivated to take that time to do it are people who either really liked your class or really didn't like your class. If they didn't care, they're probably not going to do it, or at least they're less likely to do it, which then goes again to like the measure not being a terribly helpful one. Like, I mean, not that Yelp reviews are never predictive. They, they can be, but we don't want like to Yelpify our student evals. If we made them mandatory, like you have to, um, like you sit down, everyone in the class who like happens to be there does it that day. Like that would be a better way of doing it. And they were mandatory up till a couple of years ago. I know. I protested that. Yeah. I, I mean, so I can't help but disagree with you. Um, no, but I, I, so I agree with the basic idea that it, you know, when we make them, put them online, it's going to, um, you know, the people who are make going them to. Yes. Yeah. Well, I would say it's going to, you're going to get that like like you said, the bipolar, you know, the people who loved it, people who hated it, whatever. Um, I will say my reviews didn't change much when we switched from in-class versus uh, um, online reviews, the overall. Obviously, the average could say the same if you still get that that distribution of the, the best and the worst, but um, they didn't seem to change much there. I did get fewer people, though, so I will say it went from about like 90% of the people who were um, mm-hmm. responding to, I mean, 60 maybe percent of the people. It's relatively low. And you teach bigger classes than I do. So I also had a major dip, but that major dip dropped it to like four people responding. And I just don't know what to do with four people responding to any sort of survey. Yeah, no, that's a really good point that... Yeah, teaching a class of 200 students, if I get 60%, I mean, we're still getting a bunch of people responding. If you're teaching a grad class with 10, that obviously is a lot more problematic. So that that is, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I agree. I want to go back to Chris's statement earlier about one of the more useful parts being uh, the open-ended question. So as an instructor, I, I glance at my overall numbers. I, I record them because those are the thing that I need for tenure. Uh, so I put those in a, in a doc somewhere. But the thing that I actually sit down and make sure that I read every single one are the open-ended questions. So I think those are more helpful in thinking about how to develop as an instructor to develop a, or to develop a particular class. That said, I often get something like 50% of my class will say, we need to do more of this thing. I'd really like the class better if we did more of this particular thing. And then the other 50% uh, will say, like, I really wish we did less of this exact same thing. We should do less of this thing. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, that in that case, like that particular feedback isn't helpful. But I think like on net, the open-ended evals are, are more helpful in thinking about developing than the, the close-ended ones. Yeah, so I would agree that that one of the comments that I almost well two of the comments I almost always get one would be that I go too fast and they have trouble keeping up and then other people are saying like you know you ought to speed it up a little bit you kind of gave too many examples there and you need to keep going and so it's like well do I go faster or slower or apparently with because half of the people are complaining about one thing half another it's perfect there mm-hmm. we go I should keep it where it is yeah that, that's what I infer I'm like oh, half and half therefore change nothing yeah 
it is challenging. Yeah. I will say, though, um, in my own experiences, the open-ended questions are just the hardest for me to actually read. It's a lot easier to like read, hey, I got a 4.3 on this. But reading some of the, the negative open-ended questions, oh, yeah. that is just so aversive because then like I still I can like I mean negativity bias, right? I can I can remember some of the reviews that I've gotten over the past multiple years. No clue any of the positive ones, but the negative ones, I can still remember them. You remember at least one of your positive ones. Maybe. Which one's that? The one the one comment about your pants. <laughs> oh yes. That there there have been some of those. Yes, that's true. Yes. Well that undermines the point I was gonna make. I was gonna say um that I find the <laughs> the open ended questions I mean I find them more averse too. But especially and I don't know if this is gendered, I thought it was gendered, I think women are more likely to get comments about their appearance in the open ended questions. And I don't I don't need you to evaluate my appearance. And so, like, I just have an aversion or other irrelevant factors. It doesn't have to be appearance, but just other irrelevant things about, like... I, I can't think of another example at there, the moment. Yeah, there are differences in um, open-ended comments for um, gender differences. And so I was looking at some of them. And one of the things that there are different, of course, expectations for men and women professors. And um, the women professors, the expectation that, that they would be very um, um, almost like more nurturing, nurturing and caring and so on. And so when they didn't meet that, they're like, oh, my gosh, why wasn't she, you know, more warm and fuzzy and cuddly? And then when the men are not warm and fuzzy, cuddly, they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's totally legit. Yeah, that's that's it. And so there were differences in the open-ended comments there. I mean, at least that's what the the papers that I was looking at, the abstracts I was looking at, were saying. So I mean, do we? Is it one of those things like so with the GRE? We're like, yeah, let's keep it. So with the student evaluations, do we just like abandon them, or do we keep them but try to devalue them, or do we? Because I still feel like there's useful information in here. It's measuring something. I totally agree. It's not measuring um, learning um, from the students, but I still feel like some of these things, like those questions I mentioned, are things that we would value. At least we say we value from the students. So then, do we just try to? under not underweight so like not weight the the student evaluations as much in these types of you know promotion tenure decisions or like yeah what's the solution to this i mean i think that if we keep them we need to devalue them to near zero uh so because the the signal to noise ratio on these is is so low there's so much noise in in these evaluations and there's so many different types of biases that will creep in for different types of populations i think they can be useful for individual instructors to again read open-ended comments think about how you can get better as an early uh assistant professor like i i actually did take that feedback and i think it did help me make my classes better they always tell me that i'm talking too fast and i haven't done anything about that they're just gonna have to live with it but um but it has it has actually changed the way that i that i teach so i think they're useful they can be useful to individuals as for like whether we should use them for tenure and promotion there i think the they're just way too noisy in their current form i'm not saying like they could never be good but in their current form i think they are pretty close to useless what if in a promotion and tenure portfolio we had people only um report change scores so you you basically norm it at your first year's evaluations and you only report whether they've been going up or down and maybe we could specify particular questions that we might be interested in or overall averages which again we kind of suggested that might be a bit bad but but what if we just show because there we wouldn't we worry about um across person biases right because obviously we're equating it based on an individual person so presumably the same biases are going to be uh, um, um, in play um, within that one person. So it's just like, has it been going up? Has it been going down? Has it been, been stable? Because if it's stable, great, that's fine. If it's going up, hooray, that's good. If it's going down, it's, ooh, that might be a problem. So would that be a score like uh, Andrew Smith changed score from spring uh, 2019 to fall 2019? Like, So there's just like a single score? Correct. So it start off like, you know, year one or yeah. semester one was zero. And then after that, it was, you know, plus point one, minus point 
right. or 0.05 plus point, you know, whatever. And so you just get the change of what it's been going off. And so we're, you could just, you can imagine a graph where it's just plotting it dependent upon or, or the kind of zero is what you did first. And then is it going up? Is it going down or staying stable? So that would lead me to two worries. One, if you change, that would de-incentivize changing classes because probably the first time you teach a new prep, it's yeah. going to be a little bit worse. Also, it would de-incentivize people for teaching drier classes. So like research methods, um, that is going to be a harder sell than, uh, I'm just going to be biased, moral psychology. Like that's just an easier <laughs> sell to people. Um, so that means that if you happen to just teach stereotypically sexier classes, your scores are likely to be better or you won't take like a change hit. Second thing is I would really worry then about tenure and promotion that people will just read trajectory. So if you happen to start out really well and like you taper off as, you know, maybe the stress of getting ready to go up for tenure kicks in and or like you reevaluate like how much work you want to put into teaching, what people will read is like, oh man, you started out so well and you just got worse and worse and worse over time. Do we really want to keep you? I mean, you could correct that with like absolute scores as well. Uh, and so like have like, this is my change score. This is my absolute score. Right. So like, yeah, it's going down, but I'm still like a four, two on a five point scale. So like, it's fine. Yeah. I share similar concerns. And I mean, I think this is something that people already talk about. Um, but if you were based on your change score, you could just lowball your first two years, right? Yeah, just eat it. Yeah. And just like start with a really low baseline and then your normal teacher would look really good and then if you're actually doing stuff to like change your teaching then it looks even better right and I think you hit uh, another key point there like some classes are just always going to have lower evaluations and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before like biases in these evaluations I think people that teach moral psych or human sexuality are going to have more enjoyable classes so they get higher evaluations so then the question is okay who gets those classes and do we have enough of those like flashy classes that we can distribute this across all people you could do change by class like you could break it out and then like that would that would deal with that particular worry yes i agree that seemed like a simple one of like okay you're going to be teaching i mean maybe you get a one-off class that you're teaching so that gets a little bit harder but something like research methods some of the the standard offerings i mean we teach those multiple semesters in a row that's a pretty easy thing to to look at i think that's fine the other thing i agree that if you were to know how everything was done beforehand, care so much about inflating your change score and be just completely, I don't know, a psychopath? Yes, you could lowball your first few semesters, just do a crap job teaching, and then it would look really good. I don't know that many people would actually do that. I mean, I, I really, I mean, this is easy for me to say right now, for sure, but I really don't think that I would have done that. I would just have so much of a, like, a problem of, like, standing up in front of, you know, 30, 50, 200 students and just being like, well, I'm going to teach you like crap because I want to get low evaluations to start and move like that would just be so hard for me to do again not saying that it couldn't happen I agree I understand the theory behind that but I don't know that that's much of a problem yeah I I tend to agree I think that our sort of natural tendency to want to perform well would push against that I do really love the sort of thought experiment of someone just trying to game the system though like, I'm going to eat it on my first and then I will increase effort by 10% each semester so that I can inc- like I, I love that particular thought experiment but I I agree like it doesn't seem likely outside of you know yeah people who are maybe psychopaths but but um but you know it's it's possible i guess yeah it is i would i would agree that that is a downside of looking at just the change score so i agree that that sort of thing is possible i would also agree that there might be ways to inflate your score that you would kind of learn about over time that do have nothing to do with um not even just student learning, but just um, kind of their appreciation of the class and, and whatnot and feeling respected and so on. Um, okay. Oh, no, I was just thinking, so like if you were a professor and you gave out candy right around the time when like student evals are coming out, um, 
Not oh. that we know anyone who does that. Well, damn it, you stole my uh, example. Oh, There's yeah. actually research on that. Oh, there was a study that I found that they um, randomly assigned, so they had a whole bunch of sections of the same class, and they randomly assigned with half of them, they gave them cookies in some of the lectures, and then half of them they did not, and the lectures that got cookies um, actually got higher student evaluations at the end of the semester than the ones who did not. So, so bring I mean, cookies. That, that makes the case like we, we shouldn't have student evaluations because if something like I gave you cookies changes your opinions, like these student evaluations are not picking up on anything meaningful. Those are different things, though. It could still be picking up. Again, it goes back to the GRE. We're saying, hey, it's biased, but it's still picking up on something meaningful here just because there's a bias and it doesn't mean it's not picking up on meaningful things. I, you know, again, I'm, I'm only a partial supporter of them, but I'm just yeah. saying that, you know, it's possible. I mean, the realm of possibility is is wide. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, right. So I don't I don't know that we want to like stake keeping uh, student evaluations on the realm of what's possible. I think we'd want to maybe constrain it to something like it is likely. So maybe still useful for each individual professor as a learning tool, not totally. necessarily much much less so as like, hey, this is what we should be evaluating people on. Are there ways that we could make them less biased? Being that they are biased right now, is there a way that we could reduce the amount of bias? Or is it just like, hey, that's just going to be something that's inherent anytime you ask people more or less, how happy are you with this class? Um, is that just like those biases are going to be in there anyway? There's nothing you could do about it. I feel like as the personality psychologist, I should know how to answer this question. But in this case, I really don't. Like, I know how to do it for traits, right? But, like, this is harder to pin down. Mm. What if we, I mean, if you we tell students, hey, student evaluations are biased by gender and race and uh, all the different things, um, would that help them? I think some of them would just totally buck that notion they just be like it oh, who cares right you could do a, a gender race correction in your student evaluations you could you could say okay well we've measured the amount of bias in our particular program and so we will do a bias corrected measure for everyone yeah I mean, you could do that you're i mean you're half joking but that's actually been like multiple people have recommended I am half joking, that that's true yeah but that but uh, multiple people have recommended that that is like what you could do is that you know because um, based on a bunch of different studies there's let's I don't know what the number was, but it was something like, a, you know, on a five point scale, like a point two increase for men. So then for women, anything they report in their promotion and tenure document, you just give it a little bump. Do you get? Uh, okay. Yeah, where you get to like a weird slippery yes. slope type of argument about are you adopting different tenure standards for different people then? Yes. And then I think also you start worrying about issues of like, well, anybody who looks at that and says, oh, well, you're reporting a four point five, but I know that you're a woman. So then really that only means a 4.3 so then i'll just discount like i it i don't think that would really fix anything but it would just again it was a suggestion that people were you could keep you could keep the bias correction hidden for (laughs) everyone (laughs) none of us know it no faculty know it just the the office administrator knows it and then adds it in and so like you don't know what it is is it nothing is it point you know whatever is it gigantic no one knows Lack of transparency. That's where we're at there. Yes. We need less transparency in academia. There was one study I did find, though, that they let people, they told the um, students, hey, student evaluations are often biased. Don't do it. And here's the things that you should be focusing on. And it did seem to help a little bit. So it didn't change the evaluations of the um, the professors who were men, but it did slightly increase the evaluations of the professors who were women. So there is some evidence that telling people about it might help, but we'd probably need a lot more. Yeah. I think we just need multiple. If we're sincere about measuring teaching quality, then the fact that we rely only on student evaluations is just off the mark because it doesn't factor in whether they're actually learning. And so it's not that I think those questions are irrelevant. It's just that I think that we've prioritized them because they're easy. And if we are invested in evaluating our quality, then we need multiple indicators of quality and not just a student evaluation that has questions that don't actually tap into learning. 100% agree. What do we do? I don't want to be on that committee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. 
yeah no that i yeah totally agree that that's that's the challenge though right is that the we're gonna default to the thing that's easy and the thing that's hard because we would have to have peer evaluations that are honest that are from people who understand what good teaching actually is and would be willing to report that and probably even have multiple raters because you probably wouldn't want just one what if you had like external reviewers so you have people from other departments come in uh and then they watch and rate you so like they don't have the sort of social ties to make sure like, Oh, I don't want to sink this person's tenure. Um, they might be more honest. Uh, now you get into like discipline, uh, like differences in disciplines around teaching. So like that'll create some noise, but no, really what what I was thinking is, um, so when people are auditioning for like orchestral positions and they, they implemented the screen. So like you go behind the screen, you never say a word, you play the piece and the conductor like says like, yay, you're in or not. Cause there was a huge gender bias. Like conductors tended to hire male performers performers not female performers you put up the screen they implemented that and like the gender bias was decreased um but there's not really an easy way to implement that unless like okay you're gonna watch a video you're gonna like listen to them teach but we will block out the person somehow and do a voice modulation so you can't tell their gender or who they are then you can evaluate them but like that you have to read a transcript of what they actually yes. said <laughs> yeah so therefore we and then of course you lose so much yeah. information when it's just a transcript yeah. anyway yeah that would be i like the idea that yeah. that would be i don't know how, what like the analog would be for academia that is interesting though of having people from different departments evaluate because we that's not something that we currently do um i don't know i don't know i i can see both pros and cons to that i like the fact that then they wouldn't be like you said socially connected but at the same time like if they have no experience right. or knowledge in in our area or what even our good practices teaching practices and so on that that would then not but maybe that's actually like a really good measure of teaching so i come in i don't know anything about this mm-hmm. did i learn something new during that lecture um that that would actually be like a true measure of learning in that case. Do you take the perspective of someone who doesn't know anything about this particular topic and by the end of it, they know something that they didn't afterwards. So that should be equally applicable to undergrads, to, you know, PhDs and, and uh, non-related disciplines. I think unlike the graduate application discussion, there are recommendations out there for evaluating teaching. And so I guess my point is just, it's not that their information isn't out there. It's just that we don't have a willingness or time commitment to adopting those practices. Mm -hmm. And so we're relying on, on the easy option. And I don't, I like as an individual who works a lot, (laughs) I'm not exactly super excited to adopt those practices either. I don't know if I'm advocating for that, but I also think if we truly want to improve the process, then we have to change what we're doing. Yeah, but I mean, some of the the recommendations that I've seen, though, is evaluating people on whether they're using, let's say, best practices in teaching. But I do feel like then that requires that people actually know what the best practices are teaching. And so, so we can't just say, oh, yeah, have peers evaluate. It has to be a specific group of people who understand what those particular practices are. So that's one of the things that I think is a challenge right now. So I'll just avoid learning all of those. So then I never have to be on that committee where I evaluate other people. And like a broader challenge is so people vary widely, even like within departments and certainly across institutions, like how much do they value teaching? Um, Some people like do it because you got to do it. It's part of your job. Some people really, really love it. And that's that's going to set up a situation where some people like, yeah, you know, we've got these student evaluations. They're not great predictors, but I also don't care that much. And so I don't want to put in all of the effort it would take to get this right, because one, I would look worse. And two, I don't care. And so I think I think that's an important thing to at least mm-hmm. mention that there is a there's like a particular like possible self-interest that yeah, if we develop better teaching standards, we would have to be better teachers and some people aren't interested in that. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point that at different institutions and like you said even just different departments, different people, there's going to be a huge variability in terms of how much they care about teaching and how much effort and whatnot they're going to put into both their own teaching, but also just obviously evaluating other people, whether it's in their department for these particular decisions or not. Yeah. So that is, 
yet another challenge that we have identified that I'm sure other people have talked about too. But yeah, that is that is hard to figure this out. We should just put uh, teaching evaluations on MTurk and pay people to do it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's actually not a terrible yeah. idea. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean well, that's what MTurk was started for. Yeah. It was like classification of audio and like transcripts and stuff like that. So like, watch um, this lecture, give it some ratings. I mean, we know that MTurkers yeah. aren't aren't going to be constrained in their judgments. Yeah. Just have to pay them enough to uh, to actually right. like watch the video. Yeah, fifteen dollars yeah. an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So everybody gets paid. That's the a future same episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So everybody gets paid the same amount. So all the parts. Of, yeah, are all the people on MTurk, and then they evaluate. Yeah, I mean, I guess that doesn't help any of the like gender ethnicity biases that we might have. Race that, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't help that. But but I, they're they're naive, which kind of gets back to um, Monroe's point earlier. Like, yeah. if they learn something, then that'd be hard. Um, yeah, good luck having them watch one of your advanced quant. Uh, lectures to uh, oh, yeah. with that versus like my intro social site class yeah. you know i think i'd have a slight advantage uh, on you there yeah for sure i mean yeah. it's an interesting idea though yeah because then you could get a whole like it, it would it would remove some of the issues of like the small um classes and whatnot because you could right. get you know 100 people to actually do it so it's an interesting yeah. idea i just yeah and i mean for you at least they know enough of the manipulations that are used in social psychology <laughs> so you couldn't like yeah. bullshit your way through it they'd be like nope Damn i it. know what that does yeah uh. <laughs> So MTurk is uh, how we fix this, yeah, is what so I heard. Exactly. <laughs> so basically, keep the evaluations, but not by the actual students in the actual classes. <laughs> Just have MTurkers that we pay, you know, 28 cents to do this. This seems not an improvement. <laughs> Just a whole new set of problems. Yeah. Just kick the can down the road. We're good. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I mean, that wasn't necessarily the most optimistic way of finishing. Uh, but I feel I like mean, that's a theme for us. That though. is true. That is true. But I will say, I did like, I will say, I did like the one idea of being able to look at student evaluations um, as still feedback for us, because I do agree that there have been times where I've used it in that respect, but certainly not weighting it so much in the promotion and tenure decisions for all of the reasons that we yeah. talked about. All right, well, thank you for listening to Marginally Significant, and we will talk with you next time. No awkward bye this time. No awkward bye this time. Thank you for listening to Marginally Significant. We'd love to hear if you have comments, questions, or any feedback about today's episode. You can message us on Twitter at MarginallySig. Our email address is MarginallySig at gmail.com. And there's a contact form on our website, which is MarginallySig.com. However you contact us, we'll be sure to reply. Uh, If you're interested in supporting the show, we'd also love getting reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And finally, uh, you can post about the show on Twitter, Facebook, or any other social media platform that you use. However you support the show, we really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.